Father, we give you thanks for the cross. We give you thanks for the blood. We give you thanks for redemption. God, if there's somebody here who hasn't gotten the reality of that in their heart or somebody here who has lost the reality of that, God, and now it's just passe. Oh, dear God, open their eyes today. How can we ever allow such a great salvation? How can we allow such a drifting? How can we sing the songs of Zion and not get excited? How can we not sing the songs of Zion and our soul do what my wife's soul just did right here? How can we get such a place we can't see what you did for us and for our sin? God, just what a great debt that you paid for us and not become overwhelmed with gratitude overwhelmed with awe, overwhelmed with reverence, overwhelmed with some kind of words to flow out of our heart and out of our mouth in gratitude to you. God, in, 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 in reverence to you, in awe to you. How can we not have a prayer just come up out of us, God, or some words or a clap or, or some dance to our feet or something, dear God, or a tear stream down our eyes, God, as we think about the great Great, great, unsearchable riches of our God. The great, uh, God, vastness of the love of God, of the mercy of God, of the, of the grace of God. And Lord, just make it a reality in this house today, God. Let people see, God, the victory that does belong to us now, God. Put a new song in our heart, God. Put a, put a praise upon our lips, God. Uh, God, let, let, let us be able to say, come and magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together and forever. Oh God, you are worthy to be praised. You are worthy to be honored. You are worthy to be glorified, despite, despite the things, God, in spite of the things that are going on around us, God. Lord, we ought to praise you. We ought to worship you. We ought to remember, remember, God, as we come together, God, what you did for us on the cross. And what you paid for us, God, the price that was so, so great. And God, just make it real today. I can't make it real. My, changing my voice can't make it real, God. Uh, God, screaming, God, begging, pleading can't make it real. Only by the Spirit, God, only revelation can make it real today. And God, I'm asking you somehow in this room to open the eyes of our heart, open the eyes of our understanding, God, and cause someone to, that is blind here today to say, I see, I see see for the first time I see him I see him he is he is who he says he is he is the risen Lord he is the risen king and I want him in my life and so God just do a miraculous work the greatest miracle of all miracles God is to is to to awaken a soul to the reality of a savior oh God let the spirit of the living God bring regeneration to this place today God into people's hearts in Jesus name we pray amen Amen. If you got your Bibles, turn to Matthew 26. It's good to see everybody here. I got worried for a minute, man. We're latecomers to church. We roll in right at the second, but there's a lot of empty seats next to you. Please find somebody and fill that seat with them. Either call somebody that used to come here or, or go out and get somebody new and bring them into here or both. Uh, the, the house of the Lord needs to be filled again in this last hour as we make this last, last call and last push of the harvest and bringing souls into the harvest. And, and if you don't believe it, God is doing things 
uh, to do that. We, we, I shared a couple of instances of where we went to nursing home. I mean, of, uh, I'm gonna, we have a nursing home story uh, of where I went to the hospitals and God was opened up. Corey last week shared a story about how uh, God is opening up uh, at his work, opportunity upon opportunity. And so, and at the, I, I think I, I, I'll get Sydney to share a story about, uh, uh, I'll call it revival in the nursing home. And so uh, God is doing stuff, but you got to get outside and begin to start spreading the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen. No longer are we just going to pass it around to each other. We're going to take it outside of the four walls of this house and take what we learn inside of here and go spread it to other people. And I believe God is wanting to do great things in this last hour. I want to take a diversion off of some of the stuff we've been talking about, the harvest and things coming, and I want to go, we're kind of in the march, march, it's march, march to, to the cross, and uh, we're coming up to the cross uh, here in a few weeks and the resurrection, and so I want to talk to you this morning about the garden, the garden, the garden of Gethsemane, and I want to show you something so really well, maybe take a few weeks, I don't know yet, but maybe go through uh, some things that led up to the cross, the garden, the betrayal trail, that sort of thing. Uh, you got Palm Sunday coming up. You've got all of these things that are leading up to Christ and, and what, what that, that final passion, that final uh, hour where he, what he really had come to do. Amen. What, what Christ had come to do. Uh, and that's to uh, uh, pay for our sin debt. Amen. And to give us eternal life. So if you got your Bibles though, we want to talk about the garden this this. Today, one of the places that Jesus went before the actual cross occurred. And so Matthew 26, and I want to read through 36 through 46. And if you'll follow with me, it says, Then Jesus went with the disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter, the two sons of Zebedee, along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Those aren't just, that. we read that poetry and we think that's just, it just goes and flies right by us. No, no, he thinks he's dying. I want you to understand that. My, he, he, he feels as though he's not even going to make it to the cross, Russell. He's dying. He's dying at this point, and we're going to see why. I've got to have you understand what took place in this garden. He's there, and he began to become sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Look at verse, the next verse. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground, and he prayed, My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet... Uh, not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you men just keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh, he says, is weak. Look at what he goes on to say. And he went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken unless I drink it, may your will be done. And when he came back, he again, I want you to notice this. I want you to see this. We're going to kind of find out maybe what his thought process was in this going back and forth. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and he prayed a third time, saying, 
prayed to them again. And then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of the sinners. Into the hand of sinners. Rise. Let us go. Here comes my betrayer. So we read that and we see what is going on here. What's going on in the garden? I mean, I mean, really, that's the question. He goes with 12 of his disciples into this place. I just been in that garden personally, myself. It's, it's amazing. You come down where he would have walked through this area, gone down across the Kidron Valley, come right up the hill. They enter into this garden of, of, of olive trees that, that are there and uh, that have been there, these gnarled trees that have been there, many of them since the days of Christ that are there. And here Jesus comes into this place. He leaves the, 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 the tin on the outskirts and he goes, as he often does, with Peter, James, and John just a little bit further into the garden. And all of a sudden he says, stay here. And he goes a little bit further and falls on the ground and begins to pray at this point. Uh, and, and, and up to this point, you got to realize that this is not new. Jesus has been telling them this was going to happen, right? I mean, he's been saying over and over and over more as we get closer to this week uh, that's going on in his life. He, he, he begins to tell them, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm, I'm headed for Jerusalem, and, and guys, when we get to Jerusalem, I'm going to be rejected by all the rulers. I'm going to be rejected by the religious leaders, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to be crucified. And he's telling them this over and over. He had prayed about this at other villages that he had been into. No doubt he's prayed about this. This has been what he's come for. He had a realization that this is what he has come for. He knows that I'm, I'm from the foundation of the world I've been chosen for this that this is my hour this is the hour that I've come that God will step down into human history and begin to put on human flesh and this is the hour that I'm going to come so he's prayed he's gotten up early with the father gotten away and probably agonized and thought about this stuff yet there's something different in the garden he almost dies Joe literally almost dies he almost doesn't even make it to redemption at the cross what is going on here because if you start to think about this logically logically I'm a very analytical and logical person but when you think about this logically it almost seems that Jesus BJ is a coward because other Christians have died and given their lives and faced that death in a lot more bold manner supernatural peace as their face I mean Mark he goes to his death and embraces the cross oh the cross the cross the one I'm not worthy to die upon the one where my Lord and my Savior gave his life Peter if you remember Peter that uh, Peter approaches his death and the one who denies him three times and yet he comes to the death of his own self and his wife and Peter from recorded history tells us that he said was granted the request to say do not 
put me on that cross the way that my Lord was put on that cross. I am not worthy, kind of like John the Baptist. I'm not even worthy to bend down and touch his sandals and unloose his sandals from off his feet. Please, if you would, crucify me upside down. And they said, okay, we will do that. And hey, by the way, your wife's going to be hanging over here beside you and she's going to be dying too. What about James, the brother of Jesus? Wrote a book in the New Testament. James, guess what? You want to know how he died? Do you good to read Fox's Book of Martyrs and some of these other books that will tell you and maybe prepare you for what we're going to have to face. Maybe you see others can do it. We can too. And all of a sudden, James, guess what? They take him up to the Temple Mount. Throw his body off the temple, the Pharisees. He falls and hits the ground, breaks his legs, does not die, begins to pray for these people. Love your enemies. Do good to them that do you wrong. And we can't even do that in the church. And yet, if somebody throws you off of a temple mount and breaks your legs, we need a lot of prayer in this altar. Right? That's why it amazes me when I make altar calls that all the, all, all the good church people stay back. And I'm thinking, these are the ones that we need to be in this altar, me included, praying, crying out to change us. It's not just those you think about that are just coming to Christ. We all need to be changed in this room. Amen? Hallelujah. And so James gets thrown down. His legs are broken. And all of a sudden, he's praying for these people. And so if that's not enough, they begin to take up rocks and they begin to stone him. And that won't kill him. So guess what they do? They take a fuller's club. That's what you beat the laundry out with. And they bash his brains out on the pavement right there. And that's how the beloved James died. Jesus' brother. The one who thought he was crazy a little bit earlier. The one who said, get him out of there, he's a madman. With his mothers and brothers and others. James dies on the pavement like that. Miraculously, absolutely with supernatural peace. Amazing, yet Jesus, Stephen, Stephen, the first martyr in Christianity there after the resurrection, Stephen is there. And guess what begins to happen to him? The the Bible says they pick up rocks. He's beginning to tell them what they are and that they need to repent. And they pick up rocks and begin to stone Stephen. And what does the Bible say? Stephen, his countenance is just so radiant. He's praying forgiveness. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Jesus is standing up in heaven, leaning over the rails in the balcony, about to welcome Stephen in to the glories of God. And there Stephen dies, just absolutely courageously. Yet Jesus is found in this garden. And what's going on? What's going on in this place? What in the world is happening? We'll go back to Matthew 26. And let's look at 38 through 44 again and let's figure out what's going on. So then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell on his face to the ground and he prayed, Father, if it's possible, take this cup, this cup from me, yet not as I will, but as you will be done. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you keep watch with me for one hour? He asked. 
And then he said, Peter, uh, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and he prayed, Father, if it is not possible, let this cup be taken away from me. Unless I drink it, may your will be done. And then he goes away and he came back again and he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and he prayed a third time saying the same thing. Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. See, there may be the difference. What's the cup? Because I don't think James and I don't think Stephen and I don't think all these Christians down throughout the ages had to drink the cup. Father, if it be possible, take this cup. Oh God, do I really have to drink the cup? Am I really going to have to drink what's in there? Please, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And then he drank it. So, so three times this cup is mentioned. What's the cup? Well, the cup is the wrath and judgment of God that he is going to pour out on all humanity for their sin and for their wickedness. That's what's in the cup. It is the wrath and judgment of God that he is going to pour out on all of us, all of humanity for our sin And for our wickedness. It is what we deserve. Yet none of the other Christians that I ever mentioned. Ever had to drink the cup of God's wrath. Well you ask the question. Didn't he know then if he prayed all those other times. If he foresaw this. If he knew about that. Didn't he know about the cup. And my answer is yes he knew about the cup. But now he is experiencing the cup. There is a difference between knowing the cup. And there is a difference between now God showing him what is in the cup and making him taste the cup. He is experiencing it because to have perfect perpetual perfect obedience he can't just bypass the cup and say I'm, I'm going to tell you about the cup but I'm not going to show you the cup the father has to bring it out there in full view so that he can make the choice to decide yes I know what's in the cup I've tasted the cup and I'm going to drink the cup down to its very dregs until I'm pulverized on a cross I willfully make the choice Nobody's ever made that kind of obedience before in all of humanity until this point when this Nazarene is standing there as a human, as the head of the human race now, the second Adam, and he has to make a choice for you and I that's going to determine every bit of our future of whether we're going to spend eternity with God or whether we're going to spend it in a lake of fire forever. And he could not make the honest, willful choice to drink unless the Father revealed it to him. Jesus walks away from the disciples. He turns to the Father in prayer like he had done so many other times. Yet this time he comes and turns to the Father and the Father is not there. He's tasting the cup. He's tasting, getting a little sip of the wrath of God. God's not going to be there. Now, this is what it means to be forsaken. Christ, 
And so he turns and is beginning to experience and see what the wrath of God is all about. And the Father is not there. And all that is left is beginning of the wrath of God that he's about to experience. It's the beginning of hell itself. And he is starting to experience what it means to be forsaken by the Father. And it causes him to stagger and to be overwhelmed even to the point, I'm going to die. The one who's never been apart from the Trinity. The one who has never had fellowship suffered. The one who's never not known what it's like to commune with his Father. All of a sudden turns and now in the cup is the wrath of God. It's separation from the Father. It's total anger, wrath towards sin and humanity for what we have done. Amen? In our rejection of God. Look up to this point. A blessing was attached to obedience. You obey me, and you'll be blessed. Mankind, you obey me, you do what I say, and you'll be blessed. You'll be the head, you'll be not the tail, you'll have the land. We'll take the giants out. Everything will be cool. You, you, it'll be great if you follow me and do these things. But now for the first time in this garden, I want you to understand, I want you to know what is going on in the garden. I won't want you to forfeit and sweep all the way to the cross and not see how it began here and what's taking place even here and now where he's getting a taste. He's trying to decide, am I going all the way. I'm going to drink the wrath of God. I'm going to drink the dregs. I'm going to really do this decision time. And now the hour of decision. Will he obey? Will he drink it? Will he taste it? Will he go all the way? And folks, every other time, like I said, attached to a blessing is obedience. This is the first time ever that, not, that, that, that a curse is attached to obedience. If you obey me, I will pulverize you. If you obey me, I will reject you. If you obey me, I will curse you, Christ. If you obey me, you will pay the ultimate price. And this is the first complete obedience by a man. It is the first perfect, personal, perpetual obedience that has ever taken place. That God finally has what he has always wanted for the first time. This man, Jesus, loves God with all of his heart, with all of his soul with all of his might and with all of his strength and he loves his neighbor who he's dying for as himself. Full obedience to the perfect command of God. Amen? Amen. Oh, I hope somebody gets it. Oh man, I hope. Do you not see it? He's loving God. He makes this choice. If I make this choice, I'm cursed. He gets nothing out of the deal. There's nothing but love here. Nothing. He's getting nothing for his obedience but the wrath of God, the anger of God. And yet, he chooses to drink the cup in complete obedience to love God and to love you, his neighbor. Amen? Oh, so what is Jesus Drinking and tasting the cup of God's wrath mean for you and me? How does it apply to our lives now? Number one, it gives us a fuller picture of the magnitude of the love of God. Oh, maybe you'll see this today. And the next time we sing a song, your heart will overflow. 
Yeah. Maybe you need a fresh touch. Maybe we need to return. My wife said the other day, Brad, if we are the last generation, and they always talk about Jesus, talks about lukewarmness and how he'll spew people out of his mouth. And I said, yeah. And you know what? And they always, if you take the seven churches and line them up, they always act like that's the last age to come. She said, then why do we hear no uh, preaching in pulpits about being spewed out of the mouth? Or losing of the first love? We, we need to return. Yeah, you see all these empty seats? There's a lot of lack of love for the Christ, right? There's a lot of love for self in this country. There's a lot of love for us. And we need to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. We need to repent and turn to our first love or else... I'll, re- I'll come and remove your candlestick, your testimony. I'll remove your, your light. I'll remove your lamp. So, so many false doctrines are out there now, right? When you want to know why they're out there? Because we don't preach anymore what we need to preach in the Bible. Amen? Like, for instance, the doctrine of hell. Right? One of the biggest false doctrines today because we don't ever hear a message on hell anymore. And it's one of the biggest false doctrines that's going around now is the belief that there is no hell. Or the belief that this place hell doesn't exist. Or if it does exist, this is a secondary thing where we always look out for ourselves too. It's called annihilation. Well, God will just annihilate me. And I'll just be done. Wouldn't that be a dream come true for everybody that just wants to die and we all want to die anyway and we all want to just be just forgotten about or get out of here, right? Then what was the point in the garden of agonizing over the cup? If that's the case, why is our Savior in that garden agonizing in, in, in pain up to the point of dying and death in that place? See, here's what we do. We often think that the reason we abandon these teachings on hell, that place that is real, that place where the worm dies not, that place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, that place where there is total darkness, that place where there's no more choice and where we're away from the presence of God for an eternity, not just a day not a hundred years but forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and we are there in our in our insatiable lust we're there in all of our flesh and carnality we are there forever and ever groping in the darkness we aren't annihilated we are not just 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 a flash and poof you're gone we were we were created eternal we were created eternal beings made in the image and likeness of God his breath was breathed his precious breath was breathed into Adam and we became living beings. We became living souls that we walked upon this earth. We live eternally. We live forever. That's why the memory of your grandmama who's already gone still lives on and you think about her all the time because she ain't really dead. She's either in one or two locations. And you're fortunate to be on this side. Oh God. I wish I could get over there into Abraham's bosom. Me and my brothers, when we lived on this earth, we didn't make the, we didn't do right. If you could just go back and warn my others, if you could just go tell them, don't come to this God forsaken, horrible place, I would sure appreciate it. 
If they don't believe my son who came, they're not going to believe you if you were resurrected and went back and talked about it. Amen? Amen. So, so the reasons these teachings on, are abandoned is because they believe if hell exists, that makes God less loving. See, we think like a man. The other day I said on a Wednesday night, I was in the shower and God really just put an arrow into my heart and said, Brad, you and so many others think like men. And you, and you need to quit. You need the mind of the Lord now. Quit thinking like a mere man. Quit filtering it through you and through your emotions like Peter. Uh, Jesus, you're not going to the cross. I, I'll die for you. I'll cut a man's ear off and save you. I'll protect you, Jesus. Simon, get behind me. Get behind me, Satan. You don't know what you're talking about. You talk like a man and you don't savor the things of God. You need to eat his flesh and drink his blood. You need to savor the bitter and the honey out of this book until you love it. Amen? Until you do it. Whether you like it or not, till you believe it, till you stand upon it, it's our foundation. He that hears these words of mine and does them, I liken him to a man who dug deep and built upon the rock. And when the storms came, he's there, he's solid. But the reason is we, we think if hell exists, that makes God less loving. But if you take a closer look in the garden with that first point... When you go and take a look in the garden, then you're going to start realizing that hell's existence actually makes God more loving. Because think about what He is enduring in that garden. Think about the cost that is being paid. If you don't believe in hell, then you end up trivializing God. And that's why we got seats empty in here. That's why we got people that haven't come back to church in over two years from a pandemic. Because we've so trivialized God, the house of God, the things of God, the fear of the Lord, that all of these things, hell and all of these things, there's no fear of God before our eyes. There is nothing but a trivializing, a reducing God. He's just like a mere man. What's up, God? Like we're going to bebop into the throne and we come in here so irreverent. We come before His Word and we don't even tremble before it any longer. Oh God, send your fear back into our world again. Amen? And we reduce His love down. When we don't believe in these things, when we don't revere His Word, when we don't believe Him, we reduce His love down to a general kind of love. To just a general kind of love. If, he, if, if it didn't cost him all that, then it's just a general love that he loved me with. But if it cost him hell, I mean, if he had to taste hell for me, if he had to taste the, the, the fury and anger and wrath of God for me, if he had to go through such a costly love for me, it cost him to really, really love me. Then look at what he's enduring. Look at how much he costs and just one sip out of the cup and he almost dies from the wrath of God. Think about it a few weeks when we study. What is it going to be like when he's hanging on the cross drinking the dregs of your sin out of the cup? 
I don't know about you. I'd rather have a God that loves me with a costly love than just some kind of general rinky-dink love. A costly love. A costly love. And so what does Jesus taste? Number one, he, in God's wrath in the garden for you. Number one is if you really see what I'm preaching today, and I'm not doing a great job, but I hope the Holy Spirit's opening it up to you. I hope you'll go home and read it this week. If you go home and study the garden and watch the agonizing, if you see the three times he asked about the cup and you're standing there and you begin to see what he's doing where he's almost dying before he ever gets there, and then you're going to begin to give you a fuller picture of the love of God. Oh, how he loves you. You and me, Jesus to Calvary did go. Oh, his love for sinners did show. Maybe read some of those old hymns where they rode out of here and moved by the Spirit of God. Number two, and the last point, not too long of a message today. What does Jesus taste in God's wrath in the garden for me? Number one, if you look deeply, it gives you a, a fuller picture of the magnitude of the love of God. And number two, it gives you the strength to trust and obey God. That's another good hymn. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey it gives you the strength to touch, trust and obey. Because here's what I think most of us in this room, the fear that we all have. We have a hard time as human beings, especially with a sin nature. We have a hard time trusting when we experience trials and suffering. You ever notice that? When you go through trials and suffering, you begin to wonder, where is God? I mean, I mean, like you're out in a wilderness, you're out, you feel forsaken, you feel like you begin to doubt him, you begin to doubt his intentions towards you, you begin to think, why am I suffering, the enemy's pelting you, your own, your own heart and mind is pelting you with all of these sorts of things, and one reason is that we fear that God has, we begin to, we begin to doubt that God has best intentions for us, Right? Right? Come on, we begin to doubt God and we don't move into the fullness of God like we need to. And that's a lot of you here today because you think, if I really commit to God my life today, He might ask something of me and it, and it might not be good. Right? Come on, like, I, like, like He might, I prayed for a wife or a husband, uh, husband, wife, and, 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 and God is going to make me single. And I, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can go there. Right? If I really commit to God, he, he, oh, he might, he sent my daddy to the mission field. He might send me to the mission field. And I'm, I'm on my way to school. I don't, I can't. Is that not how our hearts begin to think? We begin to have this fear that God doesn't have my best interest, that God doesn't have good intentions for me, my family, for, 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 for everything out there. And, and, and we all feel this at times and time to time. And then the second fear that comes and collides with that is the fear that I'm not going to measure up. If I commit all the way, 
I'm going to fail him. I know me better than anybody. And I, and, 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 and I can't trust myself. And so, so over time, I'm going to fail him. But if you, these two fears collide and hold us back from going all the way in to the, the, the fullness of God. But think about it. These, two, these three disciples or ten disciples or twelve disciples, really, they, these disciples repeatedly fell asleep there. And yet God, they're failing him over and over in his most intense time of need and yet his love never failed and never gives up and never runs out on me. Your love never fails and never gives up and never runs out on me. It never ran out on them. He's not looking for us to come through. I used to think I had to be the hero of the story. I had to pick myself up by the bootstrap. I failed God again. If I could just get myself right and quit failing God, it would be okay. The new covenant opens it up. It's not you. It's Christ. It's Christ. It's Christ who never fails. It's Christ who never gives up. It's Christ who never holds out. And Christ understood these guys. He knew that they were going to fail. He watches them and he goes back every time and he sees them in their failure. And yet he still loved them. Oh, man. And can't you see him? When you see this, it gives you courage to go all the way. Because, because I mean, I mean he, he, here's what I think he would do. Caleb, come up here. Joe, come up here. And Daniel, come up here. So get in that little corner. Y'all are over there asleep. So Jesus comes and he looks at the cup. He says, Father, if there's any other way, I don't want to drink that. I don't want to drink that. If there's any other way. And then he went back over and he said, Oh, they're sleeping again. But I got to. I got to. If I don't, what's going to happen to humanity? These three guys are representing all of humanity. Do you understand that? It's all of us. It's all of us failing. It's all of us sleeping. They represent us. And he goes and he comes back a second time and he looks again. And he says, oh, dear God, dear God, if it's possible, take this from me. And he comes back again and he says, my goodness, oh, gosh, Peter, Peter, Peter. Can't you just, come on, Peter, can't you just, you're the temptation. And then he says, but they can't do it. They can't do it. I've got to do it. I've got to go. I've got to drink the cup. There's no other way. If I don't drink the cup, they're lost. They're abandoned. They're gone for all of eternity. So he comes back another time and he's saying, dear God, they can't do it on their own. I've got to do this. Even though, even though I know they're going to fail again. They're going to make mistakes again. And so, Lord, if there be any way and he comes back a third time and he looks at him sleep on sleep on guys thank y'all sleep on I'm going I'm going to make it I, I made the decision I'm going to the cross father I don't want to do it nevertheless not my will but thine will be done they'll never make it in their own strength they'll make, never make it in their own power they'll never be able to pay the debt of sin or the debt, 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 debt that they owe so I'm going to go the full distance and the Bible 
Bible says he turns back and says, I don't want to do it, but I've got to do it. My love for them, my love for them, my love for them never fails. I have to go and I love them so much that I'm going to go the full distance and I'm going to pay for the sins of humanity and I'm going to take all of it away. And folks, his love is unchanging. It's unswerving. It's unmoving. If you can't see that by now, then something's wrong. This should give us the confidence. This should give us the boldness to go all the way into the kingdom things. This should give us the confidence to rise up out of here and say, I'm a believer. I'm saved. I'm born again. I'm going to enter into the work of God this year. I'm going to go into the harvest field. I'm going to witness at work. I'm going to witness in the nursing home. I'm going to witness at hospitals. I'm going to witness to my neighbors because God loves me enough that I am born again. I'm secure. I'm saved. And the wrath of God could not eat up or destroy that love. Hell came and tried to destroy that love. Hell couldn't destroy the love that he has for you. The love that he has for me. Do you understand that? Hell couldn't eat up the love of God. Hell couldn't eat up. The wrath of God couldn't eat up the love of God that Jesus had. Not an angel. Not calamity. Not height. Not depth. Not persecution. Not hunger. Not nakedness. Not war. Ukraine or Russia. Not, not, not the dominions of powers. No power in the sky or earth can eat through this love that God has for you and for me hallelujah hallelujah and I need to hear that because in closing I've been losing it a lot lately I've been losing it with politicians I've been losing it with seeing humanity destroy itself in a senseless war that needs to stop In propaganda on our televisions, and higher gas prices that shouldn't be, but they are. But I heard a preacher that was doing this very thing, and he said the Lord spoke to him, and this is how we're going to end this service, and what we're going to do as well. And God spoke to him and said, how dare you question my love for you? How dare you? It's, it's called unbelief and it's the mother of all sins. And we want to pour out everybody's flaws. We want to come in here talking about gospel and this and that and drugs and sex and rock and roll. I got one for the church today and it's everybody in here. Or most of us. And it's called unbelief. And God hates it. And it is nasty. And it is filthy. And it's the mother of all sins. And it's when you don't trust God and you make those independent decisions for yourself because you don't trust His intentions. It's when you move outside of His will. It's when you question whether God really has the right motives for you, for your, for your ministry, for your job, for your family. It's when you question if His love is, is really stronger than your failures. Oh God, oh God, oh but you don't know what I've done, God. Oh, His love is so much stronger than your failures. And that's called it, it, folks it's when the it's these accusations we have in the heart against God 
And it's sin, and it's wrong, and it's a big deal. And it's your decision, God says. I can't make you because I gave you free will. It's your decision. It's your decision to trust me. It's your decision because my blood can cleanse you, and my spirit can break any power that is in you. My spirit can come against that, but it is your decision. I can lay down my life in a garden. I can drink the dregs of the cup. I can show you my love on the cross, but it's up to you to believe me. It is up to you to trust me. It's up to you to put your faith in me. I've already proven my love for you. It's on record. It's on record for eternity. It's on record throughout the ages. And folks, here's the steel. Here's where the rubber meets the road. Here's how we're going to end this service. We're going to pray some music and we are going to repent. We are going to repent of accusing God that he really doesn't love us. And we are going to repent for really accusing God that He does not have our best intentions for us. So that when the world spins out of control apart from God and gets worse than it really is now, and I got news, it's coming. My family gets tired. They want to know why I'm always the bearer of such good news. (laughs) Yes, yes, He's coming. He's coming. And, and, and if it does, I hope it turns. But if it should go the course that I think it is and where it's continuing to head, you're going to need to know that God has the best intentions for you. And when you're running to bomb shelters and when you don't know where your next meal's coming, you're not there accusing him. How dare you, God? I can't believe you don't care about me. And when you get laid off because man has made such dumb choices that we're driving this ship into the place where, where there's hardly any turning back anymore. And when our stock market crashes, don't be sitting there saying, God, we need to be sitting there saying, God, you have good intentions for me. God, you're going to feed me. God, you're going to clothe me. God, you're going to provide for me. God, you love me. Look at the garden. Look at the cross. Look at what you've done. You made this choice. Hell couldn't extinguish it. Hell couldn't eat it away. Hell couldn't do it. Nobody could destroy this. You love me. And so we're going to come to this altar or in our seat or wherever you are. And basically we're going to say, God, forgive us that we didn't think you have good intentions for us. Or that if I make a mistake that it destroys your love, God, we confess. And we're going to confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts. God, you love us. God, you love me. Some of you just need to say that and hear it because you don't believe it. God, you love me. Because your mama, did, maybe you didn't feel like your daddy abandoned you and didn't love you or this. And you got this real deep wall. You got this real deep divide. You get these real deep lies in your heart that are just absolutely wrong. And God wants to break through with his light and say, I love you. And I'm on record that I love you. I'm not like your earthly father. I'm different. I'm God. I'm separate from anybody else in the whole planet. I am God and I love you with a costly love. Not some general love like these people love you. With a costly love. With a costly. It cost me something. And I chose it. I chose it. I didn't have to. I had a choice. And I chose it. I went back and forth. And I saw humanity needs this. Or they're going to they're perish. And so I received nothing but a curse but I'm going to do it for them. And so, Father, we love you. We thank you, God, that your love is stronger than my failures, God. And, Lord, I'm thankful that my missing the mark does not eat your love away. Lord, no matter what comes, whether economies fall, whether wars continue to increase, God, whether earthquakes or famines, God, 
nothing of this world will eat through this love. Dear God, Lord, just like you were on that cross and you began to say, this is the most thing, difficult thing I've ever done. Take this from me, Father. But no, my love remains for them, so your will be done. Help us to just really, really grasp that today, God. If there's one person right here still standing in the valley of decision today, God. Lord, let them decide today. Today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow. Today, God. If any man can still hear your voice, let him not harden his heart as in the day of provocation when they were being tested, when they tested you in the wilderness, God. And they were being tested and they were failing that test. God, let us not harden our hearts. Let us learn from that and let us put our faith and trust. All you're asking from us, God, in this whole deal is to acknowledge that we are sinners. Acknowledge that we've come short of your glory. Repent of those sins. Turn from them. Receive you and accept your free gift of eternal life. Receive you into our heart. Open our heart up to you and say, Jesus, come in. And Lord, you'll save us. You'll save us. And more than save us, you'll, you'll, we'll have a relationship with the God of heaven. You'll become real to us. You'll take up your residence inside of us through the Holy Spirit and you'll live in us. You'll be the voice behind us saying, this is the way, walk you in it. We'll have direction. You'll, you, you'll open your word up to us and God, you'll, you'll show us the path of life. God, this whole world's on a, on a destructive path to death. They're on a destructive... Every, every, everything, God. Lord, it, it's lies. It's, li every, it's all, it's lies. It's lies from every facet of our society now. It's untruth. I mean, from every television, every television show, every news channel, we, we, they're distractions. They are taking us away from the real thing. It's lies. But God, your word is truth. Your word is truth. We can stand upon it. It never changes. You never change. And so, Father, I put my trust in you. And so, Father, I just pray that today, God, if someone, Lord, is questioning your intentions, that they would see that you are a good, good father. And Lord, they would see that they can trust you. And God, they would also see that your son paid the highest price for us, a costly price. And, and, and God, it, that price took care of our failures. So we can jump all the way in to your love and to you. And so today, God, we, 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 you, you, you take us just as we are. You don't ask us to clean ourselves up and then come to you. No, you came to us and your arms are open wide. And Lord, we come to you by grace through faith, through faith. Not of our works, not of ourself, lest we could boast. It's a free gift from God. So Lord, this altar is going to be open for those who want to know you as Lord, Savior, King, Messiah. For those, Lord, that are apart from you or away from you. God, for those that have... Uh, that have questioned your intentions, God, and that just need that love of God renewed, God. We're going to come down or where we are, and we're going to begin to confess to you while we sing this song, God. You are, Lord, you are good, and your mercy endures forever. Lord, you're good. You're good. You're good. And your intentions for me are good. And I want to hear some people saying that out of their mouth. God, you're good. You're good. Your intentions for me in this last hour and my family are good. 
Even if my mama's laying or in the hospital with cancer, God, your intentions towards me are good. Even if my child is sick, even if my dog died today, even if the, the car broke down, even if whatever, God, your intentions are still good towards me. Hallelujah.